Okay, let's get started. We're uh, going to break into the mission now. Last time we had an introduction. We posed different questions. Now let's start to work on the answers. So again, let's see the Mishnah. A person who is a Shaliyah Mitzvah, we're going to see soon what that means, is exempt from sitting in a Sukkah. A sick person and their caretaker, they're also exempt from a Sukkah. And a person can have a non-fixed meal, they can have a snack, or they can drink outside of the Sukkah. All three of these things are in a Mishnah. Now, the question at hand is, Shluchay Mitzvah. When the Mishnah says Shluchay Mitzvah are exempt, what does that mean, Shluchay Mitzvah? So, the simple understanding, like we brought in the Divir Yemiyahu, is that the language of Shluchay Mitzvah is based off the language of Shaliyach. It's the same language as Shaliyach. Shaliyach is a messenger. So, if I were to read the Mishnah, and I saw the expression Shluchay Mitzvah, I would assume, my first assumption would be, that the language of Shluchay Mitzvah means that you're a messenger to perform a mitzvah. Now, what's that mean? A messenger to perform a mitzvah, I would assume, means that someone else needs a certain mitzvah performed, and I'm going ahead and performing the action for them, even though they get credit for fulfilling it. For example, if a child needs a bris milah, right? Ruvin has a son, Mazel Tov, and he needs a bris milah. So now, I, the local moil, was called upon to give him the bris milah. So I'm a messenger, I'm a shliach for the father. I go ahead and I cut the foreskin. Yet, Ruvin, the father, is the one that gets credit for the Mishnah. I'm sorry, he gets credit for the mitzvah. So that would be an example of shtuch mitzvah, that someone else is performing the mitzvah on someone else's behalf. And nonetheless, the chiddush of the Mishnah, therefore, would be that person, even though he doesn't get credit for the mitzvah, he's not fulfilling a mitzvah for himself, inasmuch he's doing the action that the mitzvah entails, that would go ahead and exempt him from performing other mitzvahs during that time period. Now, the problem with this explanation, which the Dirve Yermiyahu already points out, is Rashi. Rashi, when it comes to Shluchay Mitzvah, says a different explanation. Rashi says, Shluchay Mitzvah, Holchay Bederich Mitzvah. The people who are going to do mitzvahs, the traveling, traveling to mitzvahs. And what are our examples? To go in the Torah, they're going to learn in the Hakkabah Pnei Rabo, to go and visit the Rebbe during the Yontif or Cholomoid, we're going to redeem captives. So Rashi is very clear that it's not someone else performing the action of a mitzvah on your behalf, but rather it's you yourself on the way to perform a mitzvah. So if that's true, that we're discussing the person, so then how come the Gemara, the Gemara, the Mishnah uses the language of Shniach? So the Divriyo says a different explanation. He says the second explanation is that we're not referring to the, when the person's involved in the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. They're not sitting and learning. They're not talking with the Rebbe on Yantif. They're not redeeming the captive. But they're traveling. They're on the way there. And therefore, the mission is telling me, and Afilu, even this, don't just think that you're exempt from mitzvahs, even while, only while, I'm sorry, you're actually involved in the fulfillment itself. But even when you're holich, even when you're in the process of preparation, so therefore, you, you still have an exemption. 
And that's why Rashi goes ahead and changes it. He says, So now, the first question I would ask on this is if that's true, why doesn't Rashi just, why doesn't the Mishnah say that? Say, People are going to do a mitzvah. They're exempt from a sukkah. And I think it's limited to people who are going there. The same way I know shluchim mitzvah isn't limited to shluchim. It's also the person who's fulfilling it itself. So similarly, if it's a hochim the dvar mitzvah, I would also understand that it's referring to a person, all the more so, who is actually involved in the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. So why does the Mishnah use this language, this expression of shluchim mitzvah? So the what I would propose here is that what's it mean shluchim mitzvah? Shaluch means a person who's sent. What's it mean you're sent? It means that you're in place A, and you want to get to place B. Now, being, being sent doesn't have to be taken literally. Being sent, maybe, is metaphorical. That I want, I'm holding in situation A, I'm in place A, and I want to get to place B, I want to get to this circumstance. So it could be that the language of shliach, of being sent, is indicative of a process. I'm in a process of the fulfillment of a mitzvah. And perhaps, when it comes to shluchei mitzvah, the Mishnah is expressing that as long as you're in that process of going ahead and leading up to the eventual fulfillment of a mitzvah, that's also included within the exemption of osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah. That's what I would propose now in Rashi. Now, why did Rashi say holchei b'derech mitzvah? My assumption would be that Rashi specifically said holchei b'derech mitzvah to convey to us that it was in the preparatory stages, that it was not when you're actually in the fulfillment, but even on your way there, you're getting there, that also warrants an exemption of Isaac mitzvah patamina mitzvah. But granted, it's not limited to holich b'derech mitzvah. It would even be that if I was sharpening my knife in order to go ahead and perform the bris milah, I would also be exempt in as much as that's part of the holich b'derech mitzvah, that's part of my shlichus, I'm in the preparation, I'm in the process of getting to that eventual bris milah. So that was our first, you know, one of our few, first difficulties in the Mishnah. Now the next difficulty I want to address is within this Rashi. Rashi, when he says holich b'derech mitzvah, kagol nilmo Torah, a person who's traveling to go do a mitzvah, and his first example is to going to learn. So we posed a question that when it comes to learning... So the mitzvah of learning itself doesn't exempt you from other mitzvahs. So if the mitzvah of learning itself doesn't exempt you from other mitzvahs, so how could it be then that traveling to go learn exempts you from other mitzvahs? How could it be that the preparation for the mitzvah you're about to do can create a bigger exemption than the mitzvah that you're eventually trying to perform? So here, there's an unbelievable premise, which is, Presented to us by the Ur Sameach, Rameir Simcha Midvinsk. He was the author of the Sefer Meshechachma. He actually wrote the Meshechachma before he wrote the Ur Sameach. The Ur Sameach is a commentary on the Rambam. But his father wouldn't let him publish the Meshechachma first. His father claimed that anybody can write a Sefer on Chumash. So before you publish a Sefer on Chumash, you have to write something which shows your Talmud Chacham. So he published the Ur Sameach first on the Rambam. And after he showed the world, his uh, his unbelievable novel ideas that he was able to bring out in halacha. So then he published his sefer on Chumash. Now, 
Rosameach wants to propose there's two different types of Talmud Torah. One type of Talmud Torah is the type of learning that you could do on your own. You open up a Sefer, you learn, it's great, it's unbelievable, it's a Mitzvah Deraisa, and you're filling up the whole world, you're, you're lifting up the whole world, you're elevating everything. That being said, though, there's a different type of Talmud Torah, which is even more chashuv, it's even bigger. It's bigger than that. What is that? There's something called Shimush Tamidei Chachamim. What Shimush Tamidei Chachamim? It's a type of learning which necessitates someone that has more experience and more knowledge in you, and he's actually educating you in your learning. So it's not just a self-education, but going ahead and being taught by someone that's more advanced and more experienced and more knowledgeable than you. So it comes along the Ursameach and says, now that we have this dichotomy in the midst of Talmud Torah, one is the learning by yourself, and the other is Shimush Talmidei Chachamim, right? So then, claims the Ursameach that only when it comes to the mitzvah of, Shemesh, of the regular learning, that's the type of learning which doesn't exempt other mitzvahs. But Shimush Talmidei Chachamim, that's such a big mitzvah that... It's, that mitzvah is enough to go ahead and exempt you from other, even from other mitzvahs. When you're doing Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim and another mitzvah comes, therefore, you don't have to go and stop. You can continue doing your Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim. Now, the Wasameach wants to claim that's the Pshat Rashi. Our Rashi who says, Kagon Nomo Torah, is discussing Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim. And that's why not only the mitzvah itself would exempt you from other mitzvahs, but even walking there would exempt you. Now the question is, there's a few questions here. Question number one is, how did the Ur Sameach know that that's the case of Rashi? Rashi just says, Kegel no Torah. So how did he know he was discussing the case of Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim as opposed to the sitting and learning that you can do on your own? The answer to this question is quite simple. If he was discussing the type of learning you could do on your own, so why is he traveling? Where is he going? He's Holich Bederich Mitzvah. He's going to travel somewhere. Now, why is he traveling? To, to learn Torah. So if we're discussing the type of learning you can do on your own, you don't have to travel. Stay in your house. The fact that he's traveling is indicative of the fact that he's, he's traveling to be able to learn. He needs someone else here. Once that's true, it's very, very clear that we're discussing the second type. We're talking about Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim. Now, granted, we could go ahead and use this, this uh, stance of the Or Sameach to explain Rashi, but the stance itself needs, needs an understanding. Why would it be? Why would it be then when it comes to all mitzvahs, we would say, Osik be mitzvah, patamina mitzvah, except when it comes to Talmud Torah. Talmud Torah, there we wouldn't say, Osik be mitzvah, patamina mitzvah, unless you're doing a unique type of Talmud Torah. When you're doing a unique type of Talmud Torah called Shemesh Talmidei Chachamim, so then we'll say it reverts back to the normative exemption that when you're involved in a mitzvah, you, you will get an exemption from other mitzvahs. Why would that be? What's the understanding? So the Wasameh doesn't explain himself. I'll tell you how I understand it. You know, the Pasak in Yeshua says, that when it comes to learning, we have an obligation to learn Yaman Velayla. There's a dispute what that means, but the basic understanding the Nefesh Chaim gives us is that whatever time we're able to, we have to set that aside to learn. We have to be learning constantly. Now like this. If we have a mitzvah and we have to be learning constantly. So then, how could it be then that the Torah on one hand mandates us to be constantly involved in learning, and yet on the other hand, gives us 612 other mitzvahs? 
If I'm constantly involved in learning, the Torah itself can't obligate me in other mitzvahs. The Torah knows that I'm learning right now. I can't do thing, both things at once. So it has to be self-understood from the parameters of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah that it can, there has to be a built-in system that there's time periods where I, don't, where I don't do that. So when are those time periods? So there it's self-understood that the time period is when I'm not doing other mitzvahs, when I'm not involved in other mitzvahs, so now, that's when Talmud Torah kicks in. But, if other mitzvahs arise, so then that's when the Torah itself informed me that I should stop learning and therefore perform the mitzvah. And that's self-understood by the nature of the fact that Talmud Torah is something which is a constant. The fact that the nature of the mitzvah being a constant mandates that there has to be a limitation to it, and that limitation is when another mitzvah presents itself. But if we're talking about Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim, Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim is something which definitionally, inherently, can't be a constant. I need someone else. Someone else has to help me with me. I can't do this on my own. And therefore, that fits into the normative pattern of all mitzvos. Just like all mitzvos aren't a constant, there's a time period for each one. Similarly, when it comes to the mitzvah of Shemesh Tamidei Chachamim, this higher level of Talmud Torah, so inasmuch as it doesn't have this inherent problem of when do I perform it and when's the performance of other mitzvahs, it reverts back to the normal pattern that osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah applies, and that's why it would warrant an exemption under our circumstances. So up until now, that would be one explanation of Rashi, how it could be that going to learn Torah, walking to learn Torah, exempts you from other mitzvahs. Our original question was, how could, if Talmud Torah itself doesn't give you an exemption, so how could the walking to go learn create an exemption? The answer is, only one type of Talmud Torah doesn't exempt you. The learning you do by yourself, but when you're going to learn from someone else, that's a higher form of Talmud Torah, and that's not something which you can do constantly, and therefore it fo- follows the normal parameters of every Olesik B'mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. Now there's another approach here, that's the Brahmi Achrenim, and it's Sefer Chuvas Van Hagas of Ramesha Sternbach. Um, he wants to claim as follows. He wants to say that there's two different reasons, there's two different, I guess, variables that can create an exemption to a mitzvah. One is the actual time period that you're fulfilling another mitzvah, a kiyam of a mitzvah, right? That the, the time period where you're being makayim another mitzvah, you're, fulfilling a, you're involved in fulfilling the actual fulfillment of another mitzvah, that creates an exemption to the second. That's one type of an experience which can create an exemption to mitzvahs. Says Ramesha Sternbach, there's a, sep- a second type. The second type of exemption is something called tirda. Tirda means you're overcome, you're involved, you're preoccupied, you can't get it out of your mind. You're tarud. You're, you're, you're in there, your whole essence is in something. There... When you're Torahed in a mitzvah, when you're overcome by a mitzvah, so there also, even if you're not actually fulfilling the mitzvah, but you're overly involved in it, what would be an example? Right now, you know, usually yeshiva bachrim, they go out for sukkahs, for yantif. This year, unfortunately, because of corona, yeshiva bachrim are not going to be able to go out. They're going to have to stay in yeshiva to make sure that everyone stays safe and healthy, Be'ez Hashem. Now, that means that the yeshiva is going to have to make a much bigger sukkah than it ever did. That's going to take a lot of planning. 
So now what happens if you get overcome and that super involved in the planning, but you're not building the sukkah yet? Assuming that building a sukkah is a mitzvah, like the Sheiltis and Rashi and Makas, assuming it's, that's a mitzvah. So I'm involved in building that sukkah, I'm planning it. So there, that would be called tirta the mitzvah. You don't even realize how long you've been planning it, you're working it out and measuring, and you're not doing the mitzvah yet, you didn't start building, but you're taught in the mitzvah. That would, be, that would create an exemption. Now comes along Ramesha Sternbach and says as follows, when we say that when it comes to Talmud Torah, you don't have an exemption, it doesn't create an exemption for Shara Mitzvahs. If you're learning Torah and another mitzvah comes, you have to stop learning and fulfill it. That's only in regards to the Kiyam of Talmud Torah. The fulfillment of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah doesn't go ahead and disallow you to fulfill other mitzvahs that come to hand. A mitzvah comes, you have to stop. Why is that? I assume he doesn't say that the point of Talmud Torah is la The point of learning is to accomplish, to do, to fulfill. So if you're fulfilling the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the goal of that fulfillment is to fulfill other mitzvahs. So another mitzvah comes, so go ahead and do it. But claims of Mesha that if you're Torud, Torud, it doesn't matter what mitzvah you're doing, because what's creating the exemption? The mitzvah itself is not what's creating the exemption. So we can't have any distinction between this mitzvah and that mitzvah. All mitzvahs are the same. The tear does what's creating the exemption. Being overcome with the involvement of the mitzvah, the Torah doesn't want you to stop, keep going. You're super involved in mitzvah, stay there. Be Torah. And so therefore, claims of Meisha, maybe that's Pshat and Rashi. And Rashi, when you're walking to learn Torah, you're going and you're traveling and you're, you know, it used to be dangerous to travel. You're going across from Surah to Pampadisa, so there, you're Torah, you're involved in learning, you're involved in your, your whole essence is going, is trying to get to that learning, trying to get to your Rebbe, trying to get back to Yeshiva. So that would be another way to explain how it could be that when it comes to the walking to Talmud Torah, you have an exemption if Talmud Torah itself doesn't exempt you from other mitzvahs. Again, why would that be? Because according to Rav Meisha, the answer is that the key mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the filling the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is not what's creating the exemption in our circumstances. That can't push away other mitzvahs. But the Tirdin mitzvah, that for sure has the ability. So right now we have two different approaches. We have the word Sameach, who makes a distinction between regular learning and Shimush Tamidei Chachamim, and Ramesh Sternbach, who presents uh, an idea of the Kiyama mitzvah as opposed to the Tirdin mitzvah, the thought, the effort that went into it. Now, I want to try to build here a, a bit of a binion, a bit of a, you know, a, a cohesive approach. And we're going to do this step by step. So step two is the next Rashi. Rashi says that Shulchei Mitzvah Pturin Mina Sukkah. Rashi explains Pturin Mina Sukkah. Vafilu b'shas chanayasan. Even at nighttime, they're encamped at night. So even though they're not traveling, they're not on the way to doing a mitzvah. They stopped the, any of their preparations for the mitzvah. They're going to sleep. Nonetheless, claims Rashi, without a source that they encamped for the night, you're exempt. Now, how did Rashi know that? Where's Rashi coming from? He made it up? I was like, who told him? How do you know? So there's two different approaches here that I found. One is the Mordechai. The Mordechai, in Simon Tavshin Mem, says as follows. He brings a Raviyah, and he says that when a person sleeps well at night, so they're going to be able to perform better during the day. A simple equation. A person sleeps well at night, will have more energy, will have a clearer mind, 
and therefore he'll perform better during the day. So now, a person's traveling all day, and he gets to a place where he's going to stop at night. He can go now and start build a sukkah, right? It'll take an hour, two hours, whatever it is, where he could use that time to sleep. Says the Mordechai, inasmuch as he's going to get a good night's sleep if he doesn't build a sukkah, and therefore he'll perform tomorrow's mitzvah even better, he'll travel better. So therefore, that's already, that's sleeping. Those two hours is called like he's usik mitzvah, and therefore he has an exemption. So why would they be exempt at night? Because their nighttime sleep that they don't that they get without spending the time to build a sukkah, that's enhancing the performance of the mitzvah tomorrow. That would be approach number one. Comes along the Sridayesh and says a different explanation. Sridayesh was one of the daily rabbanim in Europe in the eighteen hundreds, the mid eighteen hundreds, mid eighteen hundreds, even early nineteen hundreds, and he says an unbelievable thing. And let's see it. A person who's going to do, perform a mitzvah, is exempt even at night. Because the Torud and Doeg with the Machshava, the mitzvah. What's it mean? The over-encompassed, the worried, the mitzvah's on their mind. Meaning to say that the reason we saw already and Ramesh Sternbach, who explains why it would be that you can have exemption for going to learn Torah, that same idea, that same concept of tirda, of being overly involved in the preparation, the mental preparation even, of accomplishing a Mishnah, a mitzvah, I'm sorry, can go ahead and create an exemption for other mitzvahs. So we're seeing already to see a theme here, at least in the Achronim stance, of a concept here that we need to develop. Now, that being said, let's try to go ahead and see Tosfos. Tosfos here, Shluchei Mitzvah. We're not going to be able, I don't know if we're going to do this for every Tosfos, but this Tosfos, let's see it inside. So Tosfos starts out quoting Rashi. Shluchei Mitzvah, Holchei Bederich Mitzvah. They're going to do, perform a mitzvah. Kagon Lilmo Torah, Lahakbul Pnei Rabo, to learn Torah, to visit the Rebbe on Yantif, Cholamoid, Eliftish Shvuyin, or to redeem captives. They're exempt from sukkah. And even in the time of encampment, that's what Rashi is explaining. And he almost quotes Rashi verbatim. Now I would make a, a ha'ara here. A ha'ara is a... I would note something here. What I would note is that Tosvos couples the two Rashis as one statement. He doesn't have these as two separate Rashis, how we have it. He puts them together. Now... My intuition would tell me that if he puts them together, I would assume there's one thing going on in this Rashi. There's one Yisod, there's one precedent, which is uniting the two concepts in Rashi. And that's why Tosas can put them together. He doesn't think there's two different statements. There are two different statements. So say Rashi says this here, and Rashi says that there. And this is the bigger picture in Rashi. No, he goes and quotes Rashi in one statement as if they're saying one thing together. It's a cohesive phrase. That being said, my intuition tells me that Tosfos understood in the world of Rashi that the exemption both of Talmud Torah as well as the exemption of Bishas Chanayasan, the exemption of mitzvahs even when they're encamped at night, has one premise, a shared premise. 
And that, we, like we said already, is the concept of Tirda. And that's something we're going to have to explain. If we don't get it to this week, and Yitzhak Hashem, we're for sure going to get to it next week. So it says Tos, what's farther? The Kain Mashmi Begemara. Now Tos is going to bring a proof. And the Gemara, now what's the Gemara saying? The Kamar Hochi Lidvar Mitzvah Ptoim in Asuka, Bain Bayoyma Bain Balayla. So the Gemara says a general rule that a person who is holich ledvar mitzvah, he's going to perform a mitzvah, he's not, on the, he's not doing it yet, but he's on his way, he's exempt from silka, bein bayun, while he's traveling, bein balayil, and also at night. Umashma, the implication is, afal holchen even though they're only walking during the day. So now, Tursus wants to say, it's an exp- open gemara, an explicit gemara, that even though you're only walking during the day, you're still exempt at night. Now, how does he know that's the truth in the Gemara? It doesn't say so. So says, Tosfos as follows. Because what are you going to tell me? That they were walking both during the day and then the night? Then, Even if they were walking for business matters during the day and during the night, they would also be exempt from Sukkah. Like it was taught, in a brice, a brice is a Tanaic teaching, a Mishnaic teaching that didn't get codified by Rehuda Anasi. It's from the same time period, but it didn't make it into the canon of the Mishnah. It's called a brice. A brice means an outside teaching. It says, well, so what's the brice? The brice is on Davchavavam and Aleph. The brice says, if you're going on a journey, both during the day and during the night, then you're exempt both during the day and during the night from Sukkah. So Tosas wants to make a deal. He wants to make an, uh, uh, an inference. What's Tosas' inference? That if the Gemara needs to say that a holich ledvar mitzvah, if a person's going to do a mitzvah, he's exempt both during the day and during the night. So if that meant we're talking about a case where he was traveling both during the day and during the night, it's no different than the Brisa that we already had. The Brisa taught me already that if I'm walking even for my personal reasons, both during the day and during the night, I have an exemption. So why did the Gemara, which came after the Brisa, have to go ahead and reiterate that which we already know, it was already taught in the Brisa? Rather, the Gemara is saying a Chiddush, that when it's for a Dvar Mitzvah, so then, even if you're only going during the day, nonetheless, you have an exemption at night. That's Tosis's first proof to this concept. The old, and Tosis now has a second proof. The Gemara, also on Chavama and Aleph, brings a case of Rav Chizda and Rabba Bar Rav Huna. The Ganu Arkas of the Sura. They slept on the rib bank of Sura. The Gemara says they were going on Shabbos, before Shabbos Chalamoi, to go spend Shabbos at the house of the Rish Galusa. They were going to be Makab of Rabbam. And the Gemara says they slept on the river bank of Sura. Now, Tos is assuming that means that they slept on the river bank without a sukkah, and therefore he has a proof. So even though it's not explicit in the Gemara, the simple understanding of the Gemara in Tosa's eyes is that they slipped on the riverbank without a sukkah, and therefore we have two sources in the Gemara to buttress this Yisod that has this precedent that Rashi said, that Afilu B'Shaz Chanayasan, we're going to have an exemption from sitting in the sukkah. Now Tosvos goes ahead and starts a new train of thought here that he has a question which is going to be the focus of the rest of this year and also the main focus of the next year that we have together. Tosis asks as follows. 
Tosus asks, Vitema, this is astonishing. If the person who's traveling is able to do both, he's able to, you know, go and redeem captives, and he's also also able to sleep in a sukkah at night, am I pturin? Why in the world would we exempt this person, this traveler, from sitting in a sukkah? Because a person's wearing tzitzis, are he put tefillin on in the morning? That's an exemptum from all other mitzvahs? Obviously not. The same way every morning you put on your tefillin and you say Kriyashman, you daven, and you're doing two mitzvahs at once. The two mitzvahs to Raisa. And nonetheless, we don't say one exempts you from the other. So if a person's able to do both, he's able to go ahead and sleep in the sukkah and travel to redeem captives. So why are we exempting him at night? That's what's bothering Tosos. Now, Tosas wants to go ahead and prove that this concept is true, that you should really, if you're able to do both, you have to. And he brings a Gemara Nadarim. Now, the Gemara Nadarim, I want to speak out, you know, we'll discuss it before we jump into, back into Tosas. The Gemara Nadarim says as follows, the Mishnah claims that a person who takes an oath not to get benefit from another person, let's take, Ruvain says, I don't want to get any benefit from Shimon. They get in a fight, they get in an argument, and that's it, Ruvain's done. I'm so upset with Shimon, I don't want to get any benefit from the man ever again. So now, Ruvain's walking down the road, and he finds a watch. And he knows this is Shimon's watch. Is he allowed to do Hashavah Saveda and give back Shimon's watch to Shimon? Now, what would be the problem? Ruvain's not getting any benefit, right? What's Ruvain gain? The answer is that the whole time that Ruvain is a Shomer Aveda, he's, gar- he's guarding this lost object, so he's exempt from other mitzvahs due to our premise of Isik B'mitzvah, Patamina Mitzvah, a person who's involved in a mitzvah exempt from others. So maybe that's called a benefit. So the Gemara really brings two opinions on whether or not that qualifies as benefit or not. One opinion is it actually qualifies as benefit, the fact that you're exempt from other mitzvahs, because what's going to happen? You're going to have Ruvain's, Shimon's, I'm sorry, lost object in your house, and someone will knock on Ruvain's door and ask for its staka, and Ruvain will be exempt from giving to him because he's Isaac mitzvah, he's guarding Shimon's lost object, and therefore it absolves him from paying that money to tzedakah. That's called benefit. The dissenting opinion, which says it's permissible, the reason, the logic behind it, is because to say that a person is going to come knock and ask for tzedakah while Ruvain's guarding this lost object of Shimon's that he found is something which is very not common. The two things juxtaposing one to the other is very infrequent. And inasmuch as it's infrequent, that's not qualify, that doesn't qualify as a type of benefit which a person forbids himself to have when he makes a netter, when he makes an oath. So that's the two opinions in the Gemara. And now that we have that background, let's go see Tosis's question. In the Gemara in Nadarim, a person in regards to Ruvain who said he's not going to get benefit from Shimon, the Maxil Avedaso, he can go ahead and return to him as a lost object. As Tosis, I, Afalpi, the Mahani, Le Pruta, the Rabbi Yosef, this concept of being absolved from giving tzedakah because 
you're getting, you're, because you're involved in another mitzvah, this concept is called pruta de Yosef. The pruta is the money that you'd give to the poor person. It's a coin, a very not valuable coin. And Rav Yosef was the one who came up with this idea that it's not shchiach, that it's not common that this happens. So this is called, he's benefiting from the pruta de Yosef. So the reason is, is because pruta de Yosef it's not common. And as Tosfus now like this, the equals man if the entire time that Shimon's lost object is in Reuven's house, Miftim in the Misa Riftelani is exempt from giving bread to a poor person who knocks. In Kain Shechichahi, it would be a very common thing, right? Let's say, for example, Shimon went on a business trip. Shimon's not going to be back for a month. That means a poor person's not going to knock on Reuven's door for a whole month? For sure they are. So it's actually quite a common thing that Reuven's going to be exempt and he's going to be benefiting from this pruta of tzedakah that he doesn't have to give. So once it becomes something very common, how could the Gemara therefore say, the reason you're able to return lost objects is because that benefit of being exempt from giving tzedakah is something which is uncommon. It's actually quite common, asks Tosfos. Therefore, says Tosfos, only, The only time you have an exemption is when you're actually involved in the caring for this lost object. What's an example? Kagon talis shalaveda. Imagine it wasn't Shimon's watch, it was Shimon's talis. He lost it, a garment. And what's he doing? Veshot chalitzarcha. And he's opening it up and airing it out so it doesn't become moldy, it doesn't become mildewy. Obehima shenosinamazonis, where he found Shimon's lost animal, his dog got lost and he was giving it dinner before Shimon can get back. So what happens? There, it's uncommon, it's not normal, that an ani, a poor person, is going to come and ask for food precisely at that time period. Precisely when he's shaking out the garment, precisely when he's feeding the animal, that's when he's going to get the knock on the door. That's something which is not common. So according to Tosfos, what do we see here? We see that you only have an exemption when you're actively involved in the either care or the returning of the lost object. But the fact that the lost object is sitting in your house and it's there, you're fulfilling a mitzvah of the Shabbos Avida because you're there, you're watching it until you're able to return it, that's not enough to go ahead and exempt you. We need active participation in the mitzvah. We need that you're going ahead and shaking it out, you're caring for it, you're feeding the animal. That's what's creating the exemption. So now if we go back to our original question that Tosis had, that how come when a person has tzitzis on, or he has tefillin on, he's not exempt from sukkah? The answer is, because once I put my tzitzis on, I'm not actively involved in doing the mitzvah anymore. Even though I might be fulfilling the mitzvah, there's no active involvement on my part. And inasmuch as there's no active involvement on my part, that's not enough that doesn't suffice to create an exemption. Comes along Tosis, and it continues with our Mishnah. And therefore you have to say that in our Mishnah, It has to be that when we say a shliach mitzvah is exempt from other mitzvahs, it's specifically talking about a, a shliach mitzvah who is actively involved. That if he wasn't involved, if he wasn't tarud, if he wasn't overcome, if he wasn't super involved, if he couldn't get himself out of doing mitzvah sukkah, that would prevent him from doing other mitzvahs. 
Meaning to say that the only time you're going to want an exemption for Isaac mitzvah patamina mitzvah is when fulfilling the second mitzvah is going to prevent a proper fulfillment of the first one. If by going ahead and going to build your sukkah is going to somehow deter and detract from the mitzvah that you're involved in right now, pidyon shvuim, or whatever mitzvah you're going to fulfill, if going ahead and building a sukkah at night is going to detract from that, then we don't tell you to do it. We say, no, it's preferable, don't build a sukkah, and make sure that what you're doing tomorrow is better. Now the way that Tosas expresses that is that if you would be involved in a mitzvah sukkah, right? The guy's traveling to redeem captives, and if you get involved when he's going to encamp himself at night and building a sukkah, it's going to go ahead and prevent him from fulfilling mitzvahs. Now, if Tosvos understood, like the Mordechai, that the reason why you're exempt from going ahead and building a sukkah at night is so that your fulfillment of the next day is better, so then how would I go ahead and express that in Tosvos? I would say, so your kiyam tomorrow wouldn't be so good. It, would be, it wouldn't be as qualitatively well. But Tosvos doesn't say that. Tosis says, it doesn't stress the fact that qualitatively your mitzvah is going to be worse tomorrow. He says, you're going to stop performing mitzvahs. So I beg to ask, what mitzvah are you performing? Right now you're going to sleep. You're not performing a mitzvah. What are you doing? You're going to sleep. The answer is no. The answer is according to the Sri Deyesh that said that when even when they camp at night, the Torah, the doing, the thinking, they can't stop thinking about the mitzvah they're on the way to do. So then I understand, if I have to go and build a sukkah, that's going to stop my involvement in, in the mitzvah at hand, in the mitzvah that I'm preparing for. And therefore, says Tosfos, if we make, if you're Torah, the guy's Torah and doing another mitzvah, and we're going to make him build a sukkah, so then those two things can't coexist. Those two things both can't happen at the same time. And therefore, keep up the tirda, keep whatever you're preparing, that's what you should be doing. Go ahead and do it. That's the premise of Tosfos. So, we've seen already. Let's do a quick recap. And that'll be it for this week. So we did as follows. We went ahead and established the concept of Shluchim Mitzvah in the Mishnah. It's not referring to a Din Shlichos. It's not talking about being a messenger. Rather, it's a way, the Mishnah's way to convey we're talking about preparation. That you're going from point A to point B. You're going from not in the state of fulfilling a mitzvah, and that process of getting to the eventual fulfillment of a mitzvah. Now, the next thing that we addressed was how come when it comes to the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, you don't have an exemption for the mitzvah of Talmud Torah itself, but when it comes to walking to go fulfill the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, there you do have an exemption. We had two different explanations in Rashi. The first explanation was we said in the name of the Or Sameach that... There's two different types of Lima Torah. One is Lima Torah you're able to do on your own. And inasmuch as the nature of that mitzvah is something which is constant, by definition, it has to have a basis and an ability to perform other mitzvahs. And therefore, when any other mitzvah comes, that's how we know the Torah wants you to stop learning and perform the other mitzvah. And therefore, that mitzvah of learning on your own doesn't grant you the exemption that all other mitzvahs do. mitzvah. But there's a second type of Talmud Torah, a Talmud Torah called Shimush Talmidei Chachamim, 
which isn't dependent on yourself, rather it's dependent on someone else. And inasmuch as of the nature of needing someone else for you to do it, necessitates, it can't be something which is constant, it's something which is dependent on someone else, and therefore is only from time to time. There, that type of Talmud Torah, this unique type of Talmud Torah, follows the normative structure of mitzvahs, that inasmuch as it's not constant, it doesn't have this built-in necessity to stop in light of other mitzvahs, and therefore you should continue learning. Then, a person walking to learn Torah, obviously, is doing the second type. He's obviously going to learn from someone, because if he wasn't going to learn from someone, why is he walking to go learn? Go stay at home. The other explanation he had was the Tshuvah Sanhagos, or Mershah Sternbach. He said, when we say the Talmud Torah, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah doesn't create an exemption, that's only the mitzvah, the fulfillment of the mitzvah itself. But if a person is tarred in a mitzvah, he's over-involved, he's overcome from a mitzvah, he's totally in... So then, his over-involvement was creating the exception, not the fulfillment of the mitzvah. And there, that over-involvement, that tirdah, is what it creates the p'tuar, that creates the exemption. That's true even when it comes to Talmud Torah. And therefore, when a person's traveling, that maybe that's the explanation why he's exempt from Talmud Torah, because there, his whole essence is involved in the traveling. And therefore, that constitutes tirdah, it causes over-involvement. And therefore, that's what creates the exemption. Then, we had another question. How can you exempt? How did Rashi know that you're exempt even at night? We had two approaches. One was the Mordechai, that if you good good night's sleep, you'll work better in the next day on your mitzvahs. The other approach was the Sri Deish, that also was specifically referring to a type of sleep uh, when you're encamped, that you're also preparing for the next day. And since you're preparing for the next day, that's called tirda. that's called involvement in the mitzvah. And again, the same principle, that involvement in the mitzvah is what's constituting, it's what's enabling you to go ahead and not fulfill the second mitzvah which comes to hand. Now, we wanted to make a precise reading in Tosos from the fact that he coupled both Rashi's together, the Rashi of going to learn Torah, as well as the Rashi that says, Afilu that it sounds like it's one principle which is being expressed. If that's true, that would reveal to us that Rashi is going within the explanations of Ramesh Sternbach and the Sudi Eish that there's one principle called Tirda, over-involvement. And over-involvement is enough involvement in a mitzvah, even if you're not fulfilling it, is enough to create an exemption. And that's true whether or not the mitzvah itself can create an exemption, and that's true whether or not you're even actively performing the mitzvah. Being involved in the eventual performance is enough to create an exemption. Tosis brought two different gemaras to support that. One was that shluchei mitzvah exempt from sleeping in a sukkah at night. And the other was a case where we found two amaraim that slept on a riverbank, the, super, the assumption being they also slept at night. Then we asked this traumatic question, how could it be that just because you're performing a mitzvah right now that exempts you from sukkah, we know that people perform multiple mitzvahs all the time. A guy is wearing tzitzis. He's going to be exempt from sukkah? Obviously not. So how could it be? So he proves from the, the, the Gemara Nadarim, the fruit of Yosef, that the only time you have an exemption is when you're actively involved in the mitzvah. You're actively shaking something out. So there, you're actively shaking something out, so then we'll say, But just because the lost objects in your house, you might have a fulfillment of a mitzvah, you might have a kiyam, but if you're not actively involved, you're not so then you won't warrant that exemption. That being said, that answers a different nakuda, a different question, which you didn't speak out. We'll add it now. But what's this language of osik A person who's involved in mitzvah, exempt from other mitzvahs? Why is it osik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah? 
a person who's fulfilling mitzvahs, a mekayim mitzvah, but to mean a, a mitzvah. The answer is no. The, the fulfillment of the mitzvah, it's not limited to just when you're fulfilling mitzvahs that creates an exemption. But your involvement, just you working to get that mitzvah done, you're involved in it, you're busy with it, this is what you're doing, your whole essence is in something right now, that enough is a, is, is a, suffices to create the exemption. And that's the language of Isik b'mitzvah patamina mitzvah according to Tosfos. Now, that being said, Tosfos has to go ahead and qualify our mishvah. On mission, it says, Shluchi mitzvah, between minasoka, which type of Shluchi mitzvah? There Tosfos says, it has to be, we're discussing Shluchi mitzvah, specifically, or right now, Torud, right now they're involved. But, because if they're not involved, so obviously, that's not going to be a reason to go ahead and exempt them from other mitzvahs in as much as I can fulfill the mitzvah that I'm doing, as well as mitzvah sukkah, why not do both? The thing we ended off with was that Adiyak and Tosos, that Tosos says, which is a support to our original Diak, right? Our original Diak and Tosos was the fact that he couples Rashi into one statement is that it's one united premise. Then also we wanted to prove that he's discussing Tirda, because the way he expresses that you're only obligated to build a sukkah if it's not going to be mavatli for mitzvos, the reason what he's stressing is that the exemption is due to the fact that it's going to stop you from performing mitzvos. He doesn't say that it's going to go ahead and make your mitzvah qualitatively better tomorrow. So if he was learning like the Mordechai that getting a good night's sleep makes for a better mitzvah, he wouldn't express that by saying it's mavatli or it stops you, prevents you from mitzvos. But if the concept was like the Sri Eish, the reason why you can sleep without a sukkah at night is because you're tolerant, you're involved in preparation right now. So if at nighttime I have to build a sukkah, that's going to be mavatl me right now at night. It's going to stop me. It's going to prevent me from filling mitzvahs right now at night. Now, that's where we're going to stop today. Next week, we're going to have to work and try to develop. You know, we bring two different sukkim here from Isiku Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. One, Beshiv Techa Vesech, and the other one, Uvalech Techa Vaderech. There, we have one to teach me, the other one's teaching me that a chassan, a groom, right, is also exempt. The problem is that a groom is also fulfilling a mitzvah. We know there's a mitzvah pruravul, and there big marital relations, to have a family. So if the chassan's involved in pruravul, so how could it be that we need a separate verse to include a chassan to be exempt from mitzvahs? We already know that from the normal din, the normal halacha of usik b'mitzvah, patamina mitzvah. And by breaking out into this question, trying to delve into this question, we're going to also get into other topics and other approaches to answer this question of if a person's wearing tzitzis, why doesn't that also absolve him of other mitzvahs as well?